Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, how? Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, how is everybody? Are you okay? Everybody good? Good. Okay. It is raining outside. Um, I don't know what part of Brandon or the Tampa area you're coming from this morning. Maybe you've seen this recently. Maybe you have not, but it is officially falling from the sky outside. Okay. So if you've not seen it, uh, like I haven't seen it much in my neighborhood, uh, I am thankful for God's grace and his goodness through the rain. And so thankful for that. So you may hear it get a little heavier, may hear some thunder in a minute, but that's okay. Uh, we're going to continue to seek God through his word and may God be glorified uh, in this time together. So we are still walking in First Peter. We are actually in First Peter chapter 4 this morning, moving forward in our text. And Peter will continue, as we will see this morning, writing to the exiles uh, for the purpose of continuing to equip them for the troubles and the hardships that are uh, not only have come for them, but the hardships that are still to come. So Peter, living in Rome, seeing persecution continue to build for the believers and, and watching it spread from Rome throughout the Roman Empire, is doing his part in continuing to write to the exiles, to write to the body of believers who've been scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and he's doing so to write about the suffering and the persecution that not only he is experiencing, but the persecution that is now beginning to head their way. And so Peter, in this moment in his writing, is doing everything that he possibly can in order to prepare the exiles for the suffering that is to come. Because what Peter's seeing and experiencing at this point, just before his death, is that persecution is getting heavier and heavier and heavier for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, in our text, Peter is not simply going to write about the inevitability of suffering or how to have the strength to suffer, but rather what Peter's going to do for the exiles, for the believers in Jesus Christ is to teach them or better yet prepare them on how to be good soldiers and ultimately how to arm yourself for the suffering that is to come. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I want you to stay seated, okay? And I want you to focus on the Word of God this morning because we're going to hit a couple passages that are going to sound familiar. A couple of them may be familiar in the sense that you've heard some controversy behind them, but, but then there's also a passage that we're going to hit this morning that we often glaze over. And I want to make sure that we're actually seeing what it is that Peter's talking about. So just read along with me. And then just to make sure that you're still awake and that you're still breathing, here's what's going to happen at the end of the reading. I'm going to say, this is the word of God. And I want you to respond back by saying, thanks be to God. And that lets me know that we're all on the same page. Okay. Can we try that this morning? All right, here we go. First Peter chapter four, Peter writes in verse one, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Praise the Lord. Well, if I could, I want to set the scene for you uh, this morning. Peter, again, is still doing his part in trying to prepare the exiles for the hardships, to prepare the exiles for the heartache that's going to be coming their way. And in this particular part of the text, Peter is now, again, going to write as though he is trying to prepare an army for battle, but not just a battle where they are going to go on the offensive, but rather a battle to be prepared, to be ready to, to defend what it is that you believe, to defend this faith that you now have in Jesus Christ. And so Peter is literally going to give the exiles the training needed, or uh, better yet for our, our intense purposes this morning, the armor needed in order to prepare for the hits to come. Now we need to pay attention to the training that's needed, or better yet, the armor needed, because what Peter's going to do is he's going to give us uh, different pieces of armor, different pieces of training that we need to be thinking through and, and applying to our own lives in the same way that, that we see athletes or musicians practice today. So we're, we're talking about practice this morning. Uh, yeah, Alan Iverson, I'm talking about practice, okay? So that's what we have here this morning. Now, uh, if you don't know much about practice, let me just give you a little bit of insight. In practice and sports, uh, we practice football, we practice tackling, so that way we can know what it's like to hit someone and what it's like to be hit. If you've ever played volleyball or soccer or basketball or baseball, you practice throwing a ball, you practice catching a ball, you practice shooting a ball, so you can know and understand what it's like to do all those things, right? The same is true of, of music and, and theater itself. We, we practice so that we can recognize what we sound like, and thus we hear what we sound like compared to the other musicians who are up there with us, so that when performance comes, we are not surprised uh, by what's happening on stage. In fact, by God's grace, I, I'm encouraged every Sunday morning before anybody gets here for adult discipleship, the praise team, um, the worship team has gathered for the purpose of rehearsal. And it's really a beautiful time of rehearsal and a, and a lot of laughter and joy going on. But at the same time, it's just a, an incredible time for, for a small group of us to get in this room and to be able to worship and pray together. And it's, man, it's just awesome to experience each and every week. So when we think about practice and we look at the text this morning, I want us to see how Peter opens the text when it comes to preparing ourselves, practicing, or better yet, arming ourselves with the armor needed in order to prepare for the attacks to come. Notice that Peter's going to open verse 1 by saying, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Now notice again that Peter opens by reminding the exiles of what it is that Jesus Christ has done. Now, Peter has already made this point, and we've already talked about this point uh, when we talked about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 over the past few weeks. So not to, to hammer this point down even further, but I do find it interesting that Peter would open uh, again in his letter in chapter 4 this new topic by restating that Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, is the one who first suffered. Now, I want you to notice in the ESV that it actually says the words since and therefore. Now, again, if you know anything about your Bible, then you know that when you see the word since or you see the word therefore, you should go back and look and see what the therefore is there for, right? Now, when you put since and therefore together, clearly there's a special emphasis being made about the text and about what has already been previously stated. So I think Peter's point and using this phrase, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, I think he's trying to make a twofold point here this morning. 
First, I believe that Peter, in using this phrase again, the same phrase he used in chapter 3, verse 18, I believe that Peter is now doing his part in order to remind both himself and the exiles of the suffering that Jesus Christ endured on our behalf and ultimately for the glory of God. He also wants us to remember that Jesus Christ endured suffering not because of man, but rather in spite of man. In fact, it was Jesus who says in John chapter 10, verse 18, no one takes it, the it being my life, from me, but rather I lay it down of my own accord. So you see, we see Jesus enduring suffering on his own accord. Therefore, as his followers, as those living for Jesus Christ, we should be the ones to look to his example, not only on how to endure suffering, but how to endure suffering well. Which leads us to second, the second point I think Peter's trying to make in this first phrase. You see, Peter, in pointing to Jesus Christ, again, is reminding the exiles that we ourselves should be prepared to suffer. Now, it doesn't mean that we look for suffering around every corner like we talked about a couple weeks ago, but rather, as Christians, we should be prepared to suffer because suffering is a natural part of the Christian life. Now, we've already gone over this before, but just as a reminder, because reminders are good. Trust me, I need a lot of reminders myself. Historically, persecution and Christianity literally go hand in hand. If you share the gospel you can expect persecution, right? Even throughout the Bible, and not to to give an exhaustive list here, but if you look at Matthew chapter 24, Colossians chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 9, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, there is a clear call to Christians who proclaim the gospel, who boldly live out their faith. There is a clear call to endure the suffering that will come in the same way that Jesus Christ suffered. Now, does this mean all of us in this room are going to be crucified physically for our faith? Probably not. But it does mean we can expect some form of suffering. We will be mocked. We will be ridiculed. We will be shamed for our faith in Christ. Don't believe me? Go somewhere in public and profess you're a Christian. See how long it lasts before somebody comes up and questions you. And not questioning you in the sense of asking you about your faith, but questioning you in the sense of why you even have faith. And yet all over our world today, we have Christians in other nations who are experiencing a physical suffering as well. Maybe not crucifixion, but they are experiencing prison. They are experiencing death. This is currently happening in our world. So when we see this text this morning, Peter is giving us the reminder of what is coming. And so at this point, he turns his attention to the exiles and how they can now arm themselves for the battles that are to come, or better yet, for the suffering that is now to come. And so the the question that we need to answer this morning is this. How can we arm ourselves for the suffering that is to come? Or better yet, if you're taking notes and you want to make this individually to you, you can answer this question. How can I arm myself, or how can you arm yourself for the suffering that is to come? Well, I believe that Peter gives us four points about that this morning. 
The first one we see in verses one and two, and these are these are very simple points by Peter, by the way. So these are going to be super simple, uh, no no alliteration or anything like that this morning. So four simple points. Here we go. Verse one and two is this: Peter says, "Stop sinning. You want to arm yourself for suffering that's coming? Then do yourself a favor and stop sinning. It's just that easy." You see, after opening after this opening reminder about Jesus Christ, Peter now states in verse 1, he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Notice that Peter is telling the exiles and believers today that we need to now have the mind of Christ, or better yet, we need to have the, the insight of Christ. In other words, what Peter is telling us today is that we need to have a healthy, reverent fear of God and not a fear of humanity. As Christians today, we need to keep a biblical perspective of who God is in light of everything that is going on and what it is that God has done, what it is that God is doing, and what it is that God can do according to his word. Notice it was Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, who said these words, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, as Christians today, we are called to live with a kingdom perspective. We are called to live with the word of God in mind. It means this, that as followers of Jesus Christ today, we acknowledge, recognize, and live that Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of our life. You see, as Christians, we acknowledge that Christ will outlast our dreams. It is Christ who will outlast our hopes and our future. It is Christ who will outlast our sports and our activities. It is Christ who will outlast our work. And it is Christ who will outlast our passions. So Jesus Christ alone should be the focus of our worship. You see, Jesus alone should be the one who is getting the first fruits of our lives. Now, many of you probably hear that and you would be saying, amen, I affirm that absolutely. But here's the reality of churches today. Sadly, many of us show up at church on a Sunday. And if we were honest with ourselves, Jesus Christ gets our leftovers from what's already been a very busy and very exhausting week. We come in and we're exhausted. We come in and we're tired and that's okay. We should come in and allow the word of God to replenish us and refill us. But what I don't understand is this. Why do we walk into church falling asleep because of the late night that we had, yet we don't have this issue when we go to the gym during the week? We don't have this issue when we show up at our work. Why? Because we're giving Jesus Christ our leftovers. I mean, think about this for a moment. Jesus Christ, who was there from the beginning, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the savior of the world, the perfectly innocent one, the son of God who chose to suffer on our behalf, the only God deserving of our worship and our praise. And it's that God who gets less than our best. He gets our leftovers. 
man, my brothers and sisters, this really should not be. You see, if we truly say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, then we are called to live for Christ and not our stuff. We are called to worship Jesus Christ and not our stuff around us. And so I have to ask the question this morning, man, how are we living for him? And I think a better follow-up question would be this, how are we now worshiping him? Now notice coming back to the text, Peter says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin. Now again, if I had uh, access and a, and a tablet, I would circle that word ceased right there and ask you to do uh, the very same thing because the Greek verb for ceased here literally means it is done. Or better yet, it is finished. Do you see what Peter is telling the church in this phrase? He's saying, look, if we identify with Jesus Christ, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and we endure suffering for his name, then we as followers of Jesus Christ must make a clean break from our sin. Now, are we going to continue to struggle with sin? Yes, absolutely. This is not a call to perfection here. Peter's not all of a sudden looking at us and saying, hey, listen, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, yet you still sin, you're really not a Christian. He's not saying that at all. We're going to continue to struggle. Why? Because Satan's going to continue to attack. That's what he's going to do. So as Christians who struggle with sin, we need to see ourselves as, as faithful Christians who recognize that even in the midst of our struggles, in the, even in the midst of, of the sins that we struggle with, we not only repent of them, but we now seek to kill the sin that's in our lives. In other words, as, as Christians, we choose to endure suffering as opposed to fulfilling ourselves with our own sins and our own self-glorification and our own self-indulgences. It means as Christians, choosing to remove sin in our life means that we are humbly seeking Jesus Christ and therefore we have now put to death the selfish desires that control us. So Christian, let me ask you this morning, are you seeking to make a clean break from your sin or do you still seek your sin and seek your own selfishness. Some people would say, well, pastor, I got to be honest with you. I really don't struggle with what you're talking about. Yeah, I sin, but man, I repent. I move on. I'm fighting it. Some of you may say this morning, I don't struggle with my own self-gratification. I don't struggle with my own self-indulgences. So let me, let me pull us out of the, out of the deep, bring us back up to the surface for a moment. I want to ask you this question. You say you don't struggle with your own self-indulgences, your own self-gratification. Then let me ask you this question. What does your conversation look like after church? What does it look like? Are you talking about what you learned from church? Are you talking about what you learned from the Word of God? Are you talking about how you experienced God? Or is your first reaction to simply be critical of what it was you just experienced? I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about that. How many times have we, have we walked away from church and the first thing we ask our children is this, did you have fun? Did you have fun? Let me, let me tell you, as a parent, I'm not concerned about whether or not my kids had fun at church. I'm concerned about the, what they're learning according to the word. As teachers in the church, whether you're in the pulpit or leading discipleship, our first concern should be teaching the word of God and making sure that our children and our adults are hearing the word of God. 
You know, I got to ask this question. I was, I was talking to a pastor this past week and he was talking about just the critical spirit that was in his church and, and all the criticisms he got every Sunday night and every Monday. He said, I've gotten to a point where I don't even check my email till Tuesday and there's some people that when they send me an email, I don't even read it anymore. And I thought to myself for a moment, man, what a, what a terrible place to be. I mean, think about this. Why as Christians who believe that we worship the one triune God, we believe that we worship and praise the one God who died on a cross for our sins, the Savior of the world. Why are we so critical of that God on a Sunday, but yet we go to the dentist throughout the week and let them jack up our mouth and we say nothing? Like it just doesn't make sense. I don't see anybody in this room criticizing their dentist. I've never heard anybody criticize their dentist. Because you know better. You know that dude's going to be or that lady's going to be in your mouth later. You don't want that. I don't hear anybody criticizing their doctors. We just go with what they say. So why do we have such a critical spirit towards the church? You see, for us today, I think what Peter would want us to say and know is this. A life that is lived... A life that is lived for the will of God endures suffering. But it's also a life that will do everything it can to put an end to a critical spirit. It will do everything it can to put an end to sin. It will do everything it can to put an end to selfishness. Now notice what Peter goes on to say in verse 2. He says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. Again, I would underline that phrase, for the will of God. I've actually sang about it several times this morning already. Notice that Peter is telling the exiles this morning that in the allotted time that we have on this earth, time that is unknown to man, but clearly known by God, in the allotted time that we have on this earth, Peter says, live for the will of God. Not my will, but yours be done. You see, Christians, Peter tells us in order to be armed, sin in our lives has to stop. We have to fight against our worldly passions and our worldly pleasures. And we have to find ourselves living for the will of God, which means that we see God the Father and Jesus Christ as a higher value than any of our human desires. Now, here's the reality. Do you want to know how you can tell whether God has high value in your life or not? Answer this question. Do I make worship to God a priority? If God is of higher value, do I spend time with him in prayer? If God is of higher value, do I spend more time individually and corporately in the Word of God, talking about the Word of God, seeking to understand the Word of God? If God is of higher value in my life, then do I make it a point to share the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ? Or is my work of greater value? Or is my family of greater value? Or is my schedule or my favorite TV show or my favorite sports team or my games, are they of greater value than God? 
You see, we have to decide what is of greater value. Is it our life and our stuff, or is it Jesus Christ? Some people would argue at this point, Pastor, you just threw in that word family. I thought family was supposed to be valued. Yes, you're right, but don't idolize your family over Jesus Christ. Okay? Your family does not get to become the crutch that keeps you away from the Word of God. Stop that. You see, as Christians, we have to lay aside our passions. We have to lay aside our worldly passions, our worldly desires, our our sin, the thing that draws us into the world. And rather what Peter says is we need to be pursuing Jesus Christ for his kingdom and he himself is of higher value. So here Peter again say, hey, you want to arm yourself against against suffering? Real easy. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. This leads to the second piece of the armor that Peter tells us about. In verses 3 and 4, Peter says this, He says, not only stop sinning, but he says this. He says, say to your past, hear this, say to your past, enough, enough. Excuse me. You see, after teaching the, the exiles that their sin now needs to stop and they need to pursue with passion Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and now live for the will of God, Peter now turns his attention to, I believe, what has become one of the easiest attacks that the devil will fire upon us as believers, which is our past itself. I mean, think about this for a moment. How often as Christians have we allowed our past to determine what it is that we now pursue or allowed our past to hinder us from what God may be calling us to? I mean, how many times have have we encountered people? I've had people sit in my office and say these words to me. They've said, I do not believe that God could ever forgive me for what it is that I've done in my past. So how can I live for him now? How can I serve him now? Some of it take it a step further and we realize that that our past and becoming this new creation in Christ has now moved us in a different direction from, say, this group of friends that we had over here. And so people have come to me and said, Pastor, what are my friends going to think of me now that I am passionately pursuing Jesus Christ? So hear Peter's words. He says, for the time that is past suffices, circle that word, for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Do you hear what Peter is saying to the exiles today and the same thing that's being said to us? Your past is done. It's over. It's enough. You don't need to continue to beat yourself up about what's happened to your life or the poor decisions that you've made in your past, nor should you be doing the opposite and thinking, well, because I didn't sin enough before I came to Christ, I wish I'd have done more. I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have partied more. I wish I'd have enjoyed life more. Peter says to us today, look, no, it's done. It's over. And we're moving on. Learn to forgive yourself. Learn to be satisfied in Jesus Christ and learn that you have done enough. Now, what Peter does from this point in our passage is he gives the list of, uh, gives a list of the exiles of what can best be described as, as sensual sins. And so I think we can all clearly define these for ourselves. And if you can't, for whatever reason, I'd love to talk to you about this individually. But for the sake of time and the sake of some little ears in our audience, I don't think I necessarily need to walk you through each one of these things on this list and clearly define it for you. But rather, what I want you to hear from Peter is this. He says, listen, Christian, guard yourself from what the pagans do. Guard yourself from these sensual sins. Why? Because 
Because you represent Jesus Christ. Because you have a character to think about. You have integrity to think about. You have, you have a reputation to think about. So don't give yourselves over. Don't give yourself over to these sins. Don't give yourself over to these idolatries. And I want to tell you something. These, again, deep stuff here. I want to bring it back up to the surface for a minute and talk about it in light of the church. There are now even modern idolatries that are celebrated by pagans today. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. When it comes to worship in the church, when it comes to worship in the church on Sunday, we are here and we gather for the purpose of worshiping God and no other. We are, we are not here for another person. We are not here for another being. We are not here for another entity. We are not here for another holiday that should ever be placed as a priority over worship to King Jesus. Let me tell you what I'm talking about to make it real simple, okay? If I ever walk back into this building and somebody declares that this Sunday is Johnny Harvey Sunday, we are fighting, it is on, okay? Church discipline's about to be practiced. If we're naming buildings after people, we are fighting because we have this stuff, we have this place because of what Jesus Christ has done. There is no other reason. You are here today because what Jesus Christ has done. I am here today by the grace of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. You see, when we worship other idols, when we create new deities that take the place of God in our lives, the reality is we are missing the boat. And our worship in church should be solely focused on Jesus Christ. There, why? Because there's no room to worship anything else. We are not a Jesus and religion. We don't, we don't worship anyone else. We don't worship anything else during our corporate gathering. That's why everything we do in our corporate gathering centers around the word of God. So when you look at this text, Peter's calling the exiles to change. He's calling them to stop. He's saying, listen, stop wasting your lives on things that are worshipped by pagans. Stop, stop worrying about your, your past. Stop, stop adding stuff to your worship as if you think you need it. Because all it does is take the focus off Jesus Christ. It's not needed. It's not necessary. Leave your past at the door and focus on what Christ is doing now according to his word. Now I want you to notice in verse 4, Peter moves on from there and he says this. He says, with respect to this, they, they being the friends, they being the pagans, they being the Gentiles, are now surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And then notice this. He says this, and they malign you. And man, can I be honest with you about something real quick? This is probably one of the hardest and yet most glazed over lessons that Peter will ever teach the church. Peter says this to the church. He says, listen, when you change, when you begin to mature in your faith, when you begin to grow in your faith, here's what happens. When you decide to be, to be done with sin and start fighting the sin in your life and you decide, man, this sin in my life, this is foolishness, this is nonsense, I want this out, it very well may displease your friends who are in that sin with you. And so here's what they will do out of fear of change. They will mock you and they will slander you. You see, as Christians, here's the reality. When we choose the word of God, when we choose capital T truth, I'm not talking about your truth and my truth. That's nonsense. There's just truth and there's not, okay? Stop that. When we choose the church, we gain 
a new set of friends. We gain a new sense of community, which means that we may not be able to run in some of our old circles because of where that may be pulling us. And that's okay. It doesn't mean we abandon ship, abandon hope. It just means that some circles we may not be able to run in anymore. And so when that happens, our old crowd may look at us and not like it because the balance has now been thrown off. And because of that, they will get upset. They'll say things like this. They'll say, oh, wait a minute. Does this mean you're too good for me now? They may say things like, oh, well, you're just a, you're just a Bible-thumping Christian. You're just, you're just being too harsh. I don't have time for that. Who are you to judge us? You don't know us. You haven't even said a word, and they're already declaring that you're judging them. Or they may say, oh, okay, so I see this. So you're growing in your faith. You're maturing in your faith. You're saying what you were doing here is wrong. Therefore, you're, you're telling us that what we're doing is wrong. Okay, so you're willing to throw away friendships for this? Man, can I tell you something? Those words are going to hurt. They're going to hurt. I'm going to be honest. They're going to hurt when people say that to you, especially when they're coming from friends. Why? Because change is unsettling, especially when that change involves moral reform. However, let me encourage you the same way Peter encourages the believers. He says, stick to the word. Lean into your new community. Christian, let me tell you something. Criticism will come. As you mature in your faith, you're going to notice changes within you and changes in those around you. And so continue to grow in your faith. Continue to mature in your faith. Hold tight to your church family. And when the criticisms, when the slander, all these things come, defend when you can. And if ultimately they won't stop, just remain silent and trust God to press onward. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But the reality is this, Peter says to us this morning, listen, when it comes to your past, enough is enough. It's enough. Stop looking back. Stop worrying about who you were. You're not who you were, it's who you are. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 tells us as much. When people come to you and say, oh, so you're a believer now? Well, what about that time we did this crazy foolish thing over here? You can say, yeah, I remember that time, but guess what? That dude is dead. And what you see before you is a new creation. Well, hey, what about that time when you, when you went out and you said this and you spoke this against that person? Yeah, I did that. And it was harsh and it shouldn't have been done. But guess what? Jesus Christ slaughtered that guy. And what you see before you is a new creation. What about when they come to you and say, well, wait a minute. What about all those times we used to run out and we did this, this, and this, and you used to criticize everything that other people were doing? What about that time when you used to badmouth goody two, two Christians? Yeah, I remember that time. And I'm not proud of those moments. But guess what? That guy's dead too. You're not going to find him. Because what you see before you is a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. Yeah, I remember that guy, but he's gone. What you see before you is new creation. Don't let anyone or anything from your past hinder you from what the Lord is doing today. Through his word, God is calling us further and further with him. Keep walking, Christian. Keep walking. This leads to the third part of the armor that we see in verse 5. And again, these are all really simple. I told you this already. So Peter said, hey, stop sinning. Say to your past enough. Here comes number three. Trust God to judge. Verse 5, trust God to judge. Notice that Peter, in recognizing that 
that there's a call for the believers to arm ourselves ultimately for the glory of God could ultimately lead to others not understanding what's going on in our lives and thus slander may come from people who ultimately call themselves our friends or may even call themselves Christians. And so here in this moment, Peter teaches the exiles that we now do not need to resort to sinful vengeance. In other words, as Christians... Yeah, defend ourselves, defend the word of God and what the truth of the word of God says. But if the attacks continue to come, if the slander continues to come, we don't have to have the last word. And let me take it a step further. When all of a sudden that person who's been slandering us begins to fall apart, we don't have to glow in the fact that they're failing and the truth of God prevailed. Notice what Peter says in verse 5. He says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Notice this. Peter tells the exiles that God is ready to judge all of humanity, past and present. And so as Christians today, since God stands ready to judge, we should live our lives prepared for the one who will also judge us. You see, there's going to be times where as Christians, we're going to feel attacked. There's going to be times as Christians where we're going to feel slandered. There's going to be times where we want to, we want to cry out and tell God, God, this suffering that I'm experiencing, this is unjust, Lord. And what Peter tells us that in these moments, we need to hand those prayers, hand those cries over to God for his justice will be done. Peter says to us, a day is coming where all people will give account of their lives and of their words. And here's the reality. On that day, nothing will be swept under the rug. On that day of judgment, nothing will be forgotten. On that day of judgment, the one who sits in the judgment seat will be God. And the only one who can cover the multitude of sins in our lives is Jesus Christ himself. Don't pursue sinful vengeance. Peter goes on to say and include the phrase, the living and the dead here. I believe what Peter's talking about in this moment is he teaches that even our death will not rescue us from the judgment seat of God. Here's what I mean by that. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, And just as it is pointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Here is Peter's point. We may live a long and comfortable life in our sin. And we may come to death dying, thinking that we have gotten away with murder, that no one ever found out about the continual sin that occurred and occurred that occurred in our life that we were unwilling to let go of. But here is the reality. Death itself may help people forget what has been done during life on this earth, but in death, we will stand before the great judge who is the all-remembering God. In that moment, it will not be forgotten. So Christians, can I just ask you this question? Are you dealing with slander right now? Are you being slandered by former friends or by other Christians? Can I just encourage you for a moment in the same way Peter encouraged the exiles? Trust God to judge. God's got this. You're not the judge. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. In fact, Peter would say, listen, it's better for you to suffer for doing what is right according to the word and just leave the judgment to God. 
This moves us to our fourth and final point of the armor, which we find in verse 6. actually ties into verse 5. But here's Peter's fourth point. It's this. He says, listen, again, I'm going to repeat them. Number one, stop sinning. Real easy, right? Number two, look at your past. Enough, right? We're done with that. We're moving on, okay? Number three, trust God the judge. Number four, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. I, I really, I kind of like Peter. He's kind of a simple guy. He's, he's, in my, he's in my alley. Now, he gets a lot of things wrong, but he gets a lot right. I, I feel that, brother. I think this verse in verse 6 is actually one of the more difficult passages to understand. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that uh, scholars have actually debated the meaning of verse 6 based on the lexical, grammatical, and theological questions that actually come from this particular uh, text. So there's actually a really great debate over the meaning of the gospel proclamation to the dead that Peter is now talking about. So let's just, let's just read this together, okay? It says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, we can, we can spend a lot of time really unpacking this passage, but again, for the sake of time, let me, let me really just give you kind of a simple meaning of this passage. You see, when Peter's talking about the dead being preached to here, this is a reference to those who have heard the gospel, then died, and now live again in spirit with Christ as opposed to what other faiths believe, other denominations believe, when they teach that it is possible to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ after you die. There are other churches around us, places that call themselves churches, and they teach people it is okay to live as the pagans do. It is okay to live a sinful lifestyle. It is okay to say that I'm going to continue to commit this sin, and then when I stand before God as judge, I'll just address God directly about what I was dealing with. And they think in that moment, after death, they're going to get the opportunity to come to faith in Christ. That's not how judgment works. Again, I want to remind you, said this, I think about a month ago. When we stand before judgment, there's no excuse at that point. There's no, God, I'm sorry. Let me explain this to you, okay? Let me, God, let me help you understand where I'm coming from because I don't think you got it, God. No. When we stand at the judgment seat, the time for excuses is over. The time for explanations is over. The verdict is being read. See, I believe, I believe that when Peter speaks of the dead being preached to, to here today, again, I believe that he's talking about those who were dead in Christ, came to faith in Christ, and then died, and now live on in spirit. And I believe this to be true because I'm literally following the context here going all the way back to verse 4. Okay, so read four, five, and six together. Here's what it sounds like. It says, for Peter, for the people who slander and malign Christians, verse four, they will have to give an account before God, verse five, with judgment pending for all people after death. The gospel was now being preached widely, including to those who heard it and then ultimately died, verse six. You see, I think Peter's point is very simple when we read this passage in context of what Peter's trying to say throughout 1 Peter chapter 4. His point was simple. The goal of evangelism is to prepare mankind for the day when they stand before God and have to give an account to God who will judge the living and the dead. 
Peter understood that the gospel was needed for all people, that even those who slander other people, they are in desperate need of the gospel, lest they face judgment with nothing more to show than their own sin. Okay, so take this back to to point three where we said, trust God to judge. Trust God to judge. But when you're dealing with other Christians who are slandering other Christians, the best thing you can do for them is twofold. Pray for them, but then preach the gospel to them. This is why we say on Sunday nights, we pray for this place to be filled with people who need to hear the good news of Jesus because we acknowledge the fact that there may be people in this room who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and we want them to hear the gospel. But at the same time, we recognize that even as Christians, we're going to sin. As Christians, we're going to fall into sin. We're going to fall into temptation. We may even get to a point where we begin to accuse other Christians of things that are simply not true. And when those moments come as Christians, we have a responsibility to preach the gospel to them as well so that they will be corrected or maybe edified and even encouraged. There, there, man, there are people all over this room right now who are hurting and they need to be encouraged. And you may tell you the best way to encourage them Share the gospel with them. Just, just say, hey, can I just, I know you know this, but can I, can I just remind you of the good news of Jesus Christ? Can I just remind you of the good news of Jesus Christ? And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say, if you're one of these people out there today, and it might help with that conversation because maybe you're uncomfortable having that conversation, then I guess take them some pizza-flavored chips and then share the gospel. Maybe that'll soften things up. I don't know. I'm not in that camp. Maybe we'll find out later. Moving on in the text. For those who hear the gospel, Peter says, for those who hear and they believe it, it says that they might live in the spirit the way God does. Why? Because of the gospel. It's because of the gospel that we now live in such a way that honors God according to his word. And therefore, because those who who live the way God does, who think with the mindset of Christ, remember we just talked about that, we now will no longer stand in judgment condemned for our sin. Now, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there's a lot of Christians in our world today, um, especially in Western civilization, who say this, man, this judgment language is just too harsh. Why do we constantly talk about sin? Why do we constantly talk about judgment? Can't we just talk about our loving father? I mean, sure, we can. We can. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you something as a reality. As a parent in this room, I have four girls that by God's grace, he has given me under my care. And my responsibility as a parent is to biblically steward and responsible and, 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 and grow them and disciple them um, in the way that the word of God calls us to. And so sometimes that means there is grace shown, but sometimes when their sin happens, there is a time for discipline and a time of correction. And so why would we not expect the same thing? Because the reality is I don't discipline and correct my kids because I love to discipline and correct them. I do it because I love them. So think about that for a moment. When God's correcting us, when God is disciplining us uh, through other people or according to the word, man, God's doing that simply because he loves us. And so I think Peter's point here really is to encourage the believers that even though there is judgment coming, even though that all of us are destined to die, that those who hear and believe the gospel should have nothing to fear because their eternity is secure. In other words, we know that judgment's coming before God, but we recognize we are covered by God's love through grace in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So Christian, can I tell you something? Can we stop watering down the God is love message? Can we stop doing that? Too many people have taken this phrase, God is love, and they've watered it down to simply mean that God is simply a nice guy enjoying a pumpkin spice latte. No, he's not. He's not drinking that. Stop it. 
Rather, I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this. We want not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile benevolence who likes to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. Christian, can I tell you something this morning? And hear me on this, okay? Look at me and hear me. God aims for something greater than your happiness. Can I say it again? God aims for something greater than your happiness. He aims for our goodness according to the word of God by the glory of God. Do you see it? This goodness comes from the gospel. No one wants to be condemned by God. And yet, as believers, we should not want a God that is so soft that he doesn't care about what we are doing as long as we are happy doing it. So you see, Christian, believing in the gospel is not done in vain. There's hope there. There's, there's edification there. There's encouragement there. But at the same time, believing in the gospel, there is conviction there as well. You see, Peter recognizes that the gospel is there to show us the saving grace of God through Christ, who pardons us from the judgment seat of a very holy and righteous God. So Christian, can I tell you, same thing Peter says to the, exi- the exiles, believe in the gospel. You see, I think as Christians today, just like Peter's day speaking to the exiles, I think suffering's coming. I think it's going to get harder, okay? I think it's going to be harder to be a Christian as the world continues to progress. And so just as Peter said, we need to prepare for this suffering and therefore arm ourselves for what is to come. And so Peter, in speaking to the exiles, tells us this morning how we can now arm ourselves. He says, hey, listen, we arm ourselves when we stop sinning and live for God's will. We arm ourselves when we tell our past enough and we move forward. When we, we arm ourselves when we trust God to judge when others don't understand and therefore in fear they begin to slander. We arm ourselves when we believe in the gospel, not a message of a, of a feel-good God, but rather a message of hope in the one who has saved us from sin, death, and judgment. Man, our journey is not done yet. God is still writing the story of our lives, a story that is beautiful, a story filled with grace and with hope, a story that is filled with joy, and at the same time, a story filled with heartache and hardship and peril. And so we need to recognize as the characters in the story, distractions will come, sin will tempt, suffering will be present. And when those days come, Remember Christ. Remember Jesus Christ who at the cross broke the power of sin. Remember Christ and arm yourself for the battle to come because he alone has the victory. Christ alone is the victory. And let's pray together.